here at Beer Brewery, sitting with the uh, the gentlemen that run this establishment. We got Sean Reeves, and we of course we have Jerry and Ryan Connor. Thanks for doing this, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. Well, one of the things I always like to jump off these conversations with is everyone has a unique origin story to how they got started. Um, so for those that may be unfamiliar with you guys here at Beer Brewery, never been to the establishments, both here or the one that you have in Carmel, enlighten the audience to how Beer Brewery came about and how you guys got started. Gosh, uh, 11 years ago, we opened our doors and uh, prior to that, about three, two years prior to that, I know Darren and I were working on a business plan that he would, uh, he would do. I had a couple old business plans from one of my previous lives and I gave those to him to kind of show the format. And he started, and then he'd throw it to me, and I'd take a look at it, and I'd throw it back to him. So over the course of about a year and a half, we kind of developed our business plan. And um, it was his passion. I mean, it, it, I had no desire, no interest in, in brewing. I virtually, other than drinking the beer at that time, that's about the extent of uh, what I did. And, uh, but after, after he worked at Great Fermentations for a while, and he, I think he decided that this is maybe he wanted to do this long term. So we started uh, 11 years ago, and then in that, that beginning process, um, Ryan was in college, and Ryan would, uh, junior and senior year, he'd come home on a Thursday night. He'd brew on Friday with his brother and then go back to IU on Saturday. But then during the summers, he would... Yeah. He would work here, and he—that's how he learned how to brew. So. so, I started like cleaning kegs here. I was working a different job at yeah. Sundown Gardens, and uh, Darren was like, "Hey, you want to clean some kegs and kind of, you know, learn some of the brewing process?" I'm like, "Sweet, sure." So, I come in and clean kegs. My two days off, and after so many weeks and months of doing that, I'm like, "Dude, I, I don't know if I can continue doing this. I need a day off." And he was sure. like, "You'll have a day off when you die. Uh, you can rest as much as you want at that." True point. entrepreneurial yeah. mindset there. Right? So I'm like, yeah. you know what? I want to work here. That's some uh, that's some great motivational uh, information out there. So, um, but yeah, then I went back to school and I'd come back on Thursday, brew Friday, and then usually I'd leave Saturday. Um, and it was funny because it was towards the end of my college career and all my buddies are like, you're missing out on the parties, man. What, you're leaving out prime time. I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm looking down the road. I'm, you know, there'll be another party tomorrow night. So, yeah. um, that's kind of how I kind of got involved yeah. too. That kind of, that's the evolution of beer brewing. So that's where we are today. That's fantastic. I mean, one of the hallmarks of this craft brewery universe is the creativity around the names and you guys got a, a few interesting ones there what is you guys' process for coming up with the names of the beer everyone well, seems to have a different one from you know just throwing stuff at a dartboard and well, see what comes out or whatnot to, to start with yeah i mean i i remember we were trying to name the the brewery yeah and i had two or three pages you know we were thinking about being locating in south broad ripple so you know canal brewery you know sobro brewery and we just went through and darren in the very very beginning he says i just like beer brewery and I, and I said, seriously, what kind of a name do you want to name, right? Beer Brewery. And he said, okay, well, we looked at other names, and he kept coming back to it. And I said, hey, you know, go for it. And if it does make sense because he, his passion for German ales mm. uh, kind of fit right into the, the format. So, Well, I love the logo that you guys did with yeah. beer into the state yeah. of Indiana. Um, but how did how'd you come up with, say, PDG. How do you come up with some of these porch parties, some of these yeah. names? Um, There's a lot to it. I'll let Sean <laughs> chime in a little bit. But, you know, 
during the brewing process, we'll throw out a bunch of different names, you know, from the sales reps to the brewers, and then we'll, you know, hey, no, that's good, that's yeah. not good. Um, you know, PDG. And I remember prior to um, this being a year-round beer, it was already established as a name, but uh, I was out sampling it one time, and this guy tries it. He's like, man, that's pretty damn good. What's the name of it? I'm like, PDG. He's like, PDG. I'm like, pretty damn good. He's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's kind of how that one came about. He's like, man, this is pretty damn good. So, um, Other ones, like the porch party you mentioned, that's actually a collaboration with Two Chicks and a Hammer, uh, the HG, HGTV show Good Bones. Okay. Um, and during that collaboration, we let them make that name, and um, porch party was more of like a community um, get-together you know, everyone on the porch having some beer, it's a porch party, you know, it's kind of what community does. So um, other collaborations, we allow other people to come with names. Keep Indy Andy was one. Um, you know, Vizen Goot, uh, that one's more like Vizen means wheat, Goot means good, good wheat. Um, but there's a lot more that goes into it, and, you know, Sean can yeah. collaborate too. Yeah. A lot of it's uh, serendipitous. It's just like a, we'll stumble into a name. A lot of times yeah. over when we're in production brewing beer, it'll... Uh, we'll know that we've got to come up with a name and it would be three or four of us uh, in production kicking around uh, possible names for it, ingredients or the season or whatever it happens to be. Every once in a while lightning will strike and we've landed on the name of some of the beers that just were sort of a eureka moment where it, like we knew what it was going to be. A lot of times just kind of a process of everybody just kicking the name around back and forth between each other and finally settling in on, on something yeah. that we really like. Um, a lot of them uh, describe what they are, uh, yeah, just yeah. like a beer brewery. It's, uh, that's a comment I get out uh, talking to people a lot is, hey, say what you are and, and be what you say you are. It's, mm -hmm. uh, and I think a lot of the names reflect that as well. And it's funny, too, in the very beginning, we really didn't like, name our beers. Like, every beer did not have a name. It was like Belgian Blonde, Belgian Double. Uh, Belgian Pale Ale, and then over the course of X amount of years, we're like, all right, we should probably start putting some names with these beers, and, you know, um, sometimes names sell the beer in itself as well. Buddies sell the beer, too, like Calabunga. Yeah, and then Calabunga, oh, yeah. that was one with my buddy. Sure. He, uh, one of the funniest guys you'll meet. Um, he ended up getting a boat called Calabunga, and he painted it and all that, and <laughs> like, you know what, dude? We're going to name a beer Calabunga. So That's awesome. It's just, you know, every beer is unique in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think of Porter John, too. Uh, we've yeah. got uh, um, something special uh, I think we did for a guy named John who is uh, an old deadhead, hippie, Grateful Dead kind of guy, and uh, he's one of the most regular of our regulars. And after you've been coming in here for 10 years, he, he's been coming in since pretty much day one, yeah. uh, and he loves uh, the robust porter we brew, and uh, I think they just came up with the idea of just calling yeah. it John's Porter, and yeah. it, it stuck. Well, he uh, kept... You know, when porters are in season, that's great. When they're out of season, we don't have a porter. He kept saying, oh, you need a porter during the summer. You know, porter this, porter that. Finally, Darren was tired of hearing about it. <laughs> okay, John. Porter John. We'll do this. And yeah. Hey, let's listen to your audience. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it goes back to what's so unique about that is it's like a, it's a lighter, robust porter. It's not super heavy, so during the summer, you can... Yeah still drink on it and be able to have a couple rather than just one and be super full. Well, you know, like you said, listen to your customers. I mean, right. we're so community-minded here in this neighborhood and neighborhoods in Indianapolis that we do listen to our, our customers and we want to be a part of their their lives as I think as much as they want to be a part of ours as well. Mm -hmm. so. yeah. Well, that's good. Well, Sean, you mentioned you're a home brewer. Ryan, you were brewing in college. You know, I always ask this question. What was the first beer that hooked you? 
in this space because obviously Jerry you were trying them all and, and yeah. sampling you know for me it was like coming out of college you're just trying to drink the cheapest lightest cheapest stuff I mean it was like yeah. buy a case of that <laughs> light for, for $13.99 when I was in school then yeah. I have a fat tire and it's yeah. just like oh, what is this yeah. right so yeah. that kind of led me down the path to kind of try some different browns and then Sam was just starting to really explode all their lineup other than just their core few yeah. and Dogfish and Sierra Nevada so Natty Light was yours back in my days it was Falstaff mm. uh, things like that uh-huh. how about you Probably Milwaukee's best, Beast Light. Oh, the Beast, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, uh, in high school, uh, we were drinking Miller High Life and then Coors okay. Light. But... Yeah, there was a, an interlude there with Ice House because they had oh, yeah. high alcohol content. Yeah. But oh, yeah, Red Dog in college, House. We used to call it Ass House because that's what you do yeah. the next day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Completely <laughs> set and pee out your ass the next day. Uh, so. well, it's like, <laughs> Col- like Colt 45 in my days. Oh, you know, yeah. oh, you drink one Colt. Oh, it's just, they just had two beers after you put one down. Yeah. <laughs> How about for you guys? Which which one hooked you? I would say, because uh, I'll be 50 this year, and so I kind of caught the very front edge of the kind of craft beer craze. I would say it was probably a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, like yeah. a lot of folks. It yeah. was, uh, there wasn't a lot available. I mean, you had like Newcastle as an import. Sierra Nevada was out there, Red Hook. Yeah. And there just wasn't there wasn't a lot to choose from in the the early to mid 90s uh, when I started drinking beer but that was my transition yeah, probably yeah. here in Nevada I did uh, I did Killian's and uh, probably Blue Moon and then when Darren came about I got hooked on his uh, Kolsch and Belgian Blonde mm. yeah um, and kind of going back to your original question too so Darren was the home brewer I never home brewed but mm. that's kind of how it all started too yeah. you had the passion for home brewing and so whenever he was back at the house, well, he moved back to the house. He was homebrewing. We had a kegerator downstairs. had, like, four taps on it. There's a 13-year age difference between me and him. Oh, I got you. You know, so I'm the youngest brother. I'm down there like, yeah. you know, my buddy's sleeping over. <laughs> yeah. Darren's like, do not drink from my kegerator. Well, you'd always get caught. At the time, he had, like, you know, uh, Sierra Nevada homebrew, like, replication. And then I think he started experimenting with PDG. So here we are. You know, I hate to say the age, but we're young. We're, like, down there trying some beer. We're, like, you know, doing this. Like, oh, God, that's so bitter. But he'd, he would always catch us, and it kind of goes back to just him and his uh, mentality at the brewery. But he would always catch us because it would drip into the drip tray. He was such a clean freak. Uh, in True. quality. I thought he could hear it. Yeah, yeah I know. Like, Whoa, he might. You know, drip tray, bam, there'd be some drips in there. He's like, you down there drinking my beer again? You know. Um, I taught him well. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, after like the domestics, I kind of transitioned. Um, you know, I did have some Sierra Nevada Pale and all that. Um, but I would kind of transition to wheats at first. And mm. then really uh, from wheats, I actually went into IPAs and pales. Um, you know, Blue Moon at the time, Widmer Brothers had a wheat um, that I uh, was drinking on. So my uh, slow evolution into craft beer was uh, wheat beer. Gotcha. Well, one of the things I like to highlight, so all these cans here, these are all successes, right? Oh, yeah. And everybody, in Sean, you coming from a homebrewing background, you probably had that, that blend or that recipe they were trying that maybe you thought it looked good on paper. And then we actually had the finished product it was dead on arrival not good so these obviously highlight you guys successes and what's on your taps but are there any failures that or maybe a failure that led to a success that you guys can look back on over these you know mm-hmm. many years to say hey this is 
you know, we thought it was going to be good. It wasn't, but maybe it gave birth to something else that we weren't thinking about. Man. Um, I think a lot of it is a work in progress. Yeah. Uh, we, if we're known for anything, I think it's for, I always tell people, well, we make the kind of beer for people who want beer in their beer. I mean, it's, we make traditional German lagers. We make traditional uh, ales from around the world. Everything's right down the pickle barrel in terms of the beer judge certification program or Cicerone program. We're, we're really striving for making stylistically accurate beers. Um, as a result, I mean, we hadn't done a lot of like the, the hazy IPAs until recently, the New England style juicy IPAs. Uh, sours and tarts that's something new that we've really gotten into as yeah. as the market has moved we've tried to move with the market we're i don't think it's ever been our approach to chase trends um but having something uh that fits that bill for what those drinkers want and i think we're getting closer and closer all the time uh looking for always sourcing new ingredients and new suppliers for things that are going to raise the game on on those beers that are already good uh, but i think um all of us here are always looking for a, a better way to do things and striving for what's going to make it just a little bit better. Yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think? I've only been here well, three years. Well, kind of to touch so. on that too, like we are known for the stylistic, traditional, and that's what a lot of people love about our facility is you can come in and you can get a light beer, multi beer, hoppy beer. It's not six hoppy beers and one light beer. You know, we have all sorts of anything you're into. You know, if you like Killian's Irish Red, we can pretty much guide you into a beer that you might like or at mm. least be able to enjoy here and if it's not your style i think um i hear this a lot is like i don't you know i'm not a, a dark beer drinker but any dark any of your dark beers i've had it's been good i can appreciate it um so that's something we're known for definitely it's just the variety on top of what sean was saying um yeah, but a lot of our beers i mean darren is it's you know not to hype darren up but um he'll take it over to our production facility because we have two breweries we have our taproom brewery and then right behind us our production facility and new recipe he just takes it over there and brews it on the big system and we have 75 kegs of it um yeah, it goes back to his experience his his knowledge um you know it's, you it's you crazy. look back i i can't i can't think of a of a failure from those terms yeah if you look at a failure from brewing a beer that didn't come out right or spoiled beer i can only think of one time and that was due to the, the yeast that we got. Mm -hmm. Well, that's PDG, right? Wasn't that the PDG? We did have, um, in the early days, we were grinding grain. We had grain right next to, um, before we had our production facility, right next to our fermenters and brew system. And there was a moment in time where we had a couple batches that were turning sour. Um, nowadays, you, you, know, you could send it out as a sour IPA, but mm -hmm. we are not about that. We did dump some batches, that but that was only—I think that was only like a seven or two seven. Yeah, barrels. it was like two seven barrels. We figured out what was happening. We, you know, and that was evaluated. When you think about it, 11, 11 years in business, and we've only got fourteen barrels that we ever had to pour out. Mm -hmm. When you hear these horror stories, when these guys have a you know three hundred barrel system that something's gone wrong, oh, yeah, that yeah. is a boatload. Sure. Yeah, we had a former employee that. Uh, moved up to Chicago and worked for a brewery will, which will remain nameless. Um, but I remember him coming back and saying, yeah, we had to dump an entire tank worth of yeah. it's an 80 barrel tank of, of beer. So 160 half barrels of beer. Yeah. And I would say that um, one of the things, and I do hear this in the marketplace too, is we're out selling beer uh, in 
liquor stores and in restaurants and bars is everyone will say, man, your beer is so consistent. It's always good. It's oh. consistent. It's mm-hmm. batch to batch, same beer to same beer. The consistency is spot on. And we're not doing a lot of empirical QA, QC laboratory testing. It's just drinking one can. You can open up a can from two or three canning runs ago or pull a keg from a couple batches ago. It's dead nuts on. I mean, it's... And that's, that's the strength that we have here. And what proof it is is all these awards. It, I always tell the customers come in here, this, this tells you how consistent we are. And that's the hardest thing. Darren will tell you the hardest thing in brewing is, is making today's batch the same as yesterday's. And he'll, he'll also get into it. You know, you get a lot of people talking about Bud and Miller and Coors and so forth. And Darren's got the utmost respect for those oh, yeah. guys because day in and day out, no matter where you go in the world, it's the same shit out there with those yeah. guys. And uh, uh, that's what he strives for. That's, that's one of the, 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 the points that he goes after. And, and that's, a, a, I think, that something that we may cover uh, later on, just the quality of the, the employees, the character of the employees that you hire, especially back in, in production, is so much of that process. I've, I've told a lot of people, you could set your watch by how things run back there. Uh, we brew 40s on uh, Thursdays and 40s, and those 40-barrel batches, we're always within five minutes 10 minutes maybe at the most, but everything gets done the same way every single time. Things get hung up the same place. Things go down in sanitizer the same way. Hoses get rolled up the same. It's even the little things. Uh, it makes it easy to troubleshoot. makes it easy to identify where there might be a problem and address it before it becomes a real issue. It's just yeah. day in and day out. You could, it's, yeah, it's a it, machine. It developed over all the years. I mean, if you look at our history, we didn't sell a single pint. You could not come in here when we first opened for the first three years and have a pint. It was carry-out only. We would do pint nights every, you know, once a month, every couple months. And then it took five years uh, for us to even put a, a product into a can. You know, We're almost coming up on 11 years, but it just goes back to the consistency. And we really wanted to be dialed in that every can you open or every beer you yeah. have tastes the same like before. Well, the, the, we built our, I think our business plan and our profile was such that we built it on premise. I mean, you don't build, you don't build a brand, first of all, on off-premise accounts. You got to start on premise. And that's where we started. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we took a handful of, of the restaurants uh, that we thought were the, the top of the line that would fit us the best. And we started there and then finally like Ryan said, we got into the canning business, into the into the off-premise account. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we've never had the mindset of, all right, you're ten, we want to be in three states, and we want to be, you know, that's just not who we are. It's a controlled, slow growth, and you know, now we're at this point right now where which path do we go? Because we're growing, you know, do we go outside the lines? Do we go with multiple distributors, or do we refocus on ourselves and the community and go that way? And have more tap rooms and, and so have more forth. Tap rooms. It really is kind of a pivot point. I mean, we've talked about that a fair number of times, not in any official capacity, but it's we're like pretty much tapped out for what we can do with one shift of the number of employees that we have in production and sales and distribution delivery and the space where we're maximizing uh, the throughput on the brewery system. Uh, that we have on and both the seven barrel system and the forty barrel system. We got, so we got uh, some we got some room though over there. We can still increase little our bit capacity. Of, yeah. But like but Sean said, it, Sean said it, it would be uh, the shifts. We'd have to have a couple more people to be able to do that. Yeah. 
and uh, and that's what we're looking. We're looking at all those. You know, you got this universe with all these balls moving around. Okay, we're gonna grab <laughs> this one. You know. And, well, that's just it. I mean, when, uh, you know, when I sit with clients, I love working with people that have a growth mindset and think abundantly, right? But growth can be fickle. Yeah. And managing that the appropriate way. How have you guys managed growth being around for 11 years? How have you managed to go from, you know, maybe just one location to opening two? How have you guys managed the growth of Beer Brewery over these 11 years where you haven't kind of got out in front or over your skis a little bit? I don't That's That's kind of a, a difficult question sometimes because... Some of that to me is just common sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, we sit down here with everybody and we look at our capacity and we said, okay, well, we've been doing X number in the past. How much can we do in the future? And then we look at on-premise versus off-premise. And a lot of that is not a strategic style meeting. It's more of a, well, you know, we got an extra 50 kegs this, this month or this month this week and we just kind of with common sense as well we can do that we can go over here we can you know and Ryan does a really good job of, of keeping the amount of, of inventory that we have and communicating with Sean well we can do this this week and keep in mind next week we got something else coming on and we, this next batch is going to hit the hit the taps you know this at this particular time so um, you know it's it's, it's, it's we're we're always slow, controlled. Um, we, when we start discussing tap rooms, as you had mentioned, you know, it was a conversation that we've had for a couple of years. Like, hey, you know, we're gonna start looking, but we don't. Our thing is, we don't want to get too big too fast and bite something off and not be able to supply. Or you get too big too fast, and you have all this product and it's great, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, where's yeah. all the reorders? And you yeah. know. Um, or your over overproduction. Yeah. I mean, here, and the worst thing that happen is that if we do, you know, we get, we have too many locations or too many accounts, then we can't service them, and then you're yeah. in a shitload of problems. Problems yeah. there. Yeah. And because uh, we do our own distribution as well too. Yeah. Right. And it's almost better to go that direct to consumer through your tap rooms versus yeah. trying to deal with the distribution system throughout the state. Which well, is, I, and, has its pros and cons, right? And part of that part of that growth is is by Ryan and even with Sean knowing, you know, what our capacity is and so forth. And then he goes to the, and gets a hold of the two chicks and the hammer and then they develop this program and then keep Indy Indy. And then we've got stuff going up in Carmel that we're constantly keeping in mind so that we don't overcommit and underperform, underproduce, you know, and then, and then we're in, in, a, in a real predicament. Yeah. It really so, is a, a kind of a, just-in-time manufacturing process. I mean, you don't yeah. think about you think about a brewery and a tap room, but it really is uh, manufacturing, sure. and uh, it is. We can't have too much obsolescence sitting around. We can't have too much raw material sitting around because we're paying on a like everything's net zero or net fifteen, net thirty to to be able to buy ingredients. The revenue comes in, it goes out the door, and and it uh, it it really is sort of like uh, we're still fairly old school when it comes to writing things on dry boards, but it works. I mean, it's Ryan will get in a couple times a week and check inventory. And yeah. we, we talk every day before we do sales and trying to figure out where things need to be shifted. Um, so uh, it's been pretty organic uh, yeah. that way, I would say. Yeah, that's good. <laughs>
I mean, coming through this for 11 years, what I like asking the question is, you know, where do you guys draw inspiration from? You know, you mentioned the, the German uh, styles of beers. Uh, you know, when I sat down with Taxman, they spent time in Belgium. So is there any uh, specific breweries or any of the old school guys that you guys draw inspiration on as you kind of built out the aesthetic of what you guys wanted to have when someone walks in the door of a beer brewery, whether here or well, in a I, location? I think the, some of the drive is depending upon the day of the week and how long the, the whip that Darren uses back there. But I, I don't know. I think the the beers. This is their, that's their capacity. I'm kind of, you know. I mean, I guess in the early days, Sierra Nevada was definitely an inspiration. It still is because they keep true to you know, stylistic. They keep true to, um, just really good, balanced beer. Um, you know, malt flavors, hot flavors. Um, but when it came to the appearance of the tap room and who we are, I mean, that kind of just developed through us. I yeah, mean, through yeah. us and our customers. Yeah. Well, I think early on, the, the, the motivation that Darren had, one, is to make good beer. He was also doing wine. He made very good wine, too. That he fell in love with the Belgians and the Germans. Uh, style beers and he just honed in on that and that's where he started mm -hmm. and it just kind of gravitated from there no we've not been to Belgium or Germany and so forth I would love to do that one of these days um, but it's just something that has been his passion and how how that came about with him we would have to ask him mm -hmm. um, but he stays he stays in that lane though he, he yeah. does so, yeah. I mean, this, these fruit beers are driving him nuts. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. It's like yeah. a puzzle to be solved. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it, because it's so non-traditional. But, mm -hmm. but you got to listen to your customers. You got you got to go where the market is, and that's exactly where it is right now with these fruit beers, these tart beers, and so forth. And, um, but and it anyway. goes back to what Sean said, like. You know, we're not going to make our brewery all of a sudden a fruit beer brewery or a hazy beer brewery. Yeah. But having one option for that person who comes in that loves their fruit beer, loves their hazy beers, you know, um, having one option is great. And it comes back to us having a huge variety of beer. For yeah, sure. I don't. I don't want to interrupt you, but my, no, I don't have a very big ego. But I'll tell you, Sean, you're st sitting right in front of me in the camera, <laughs> and I'm not. I'm not seen on camera there very we well. well. Well, we'll cut in with that. We'll, <laughs> there there we go. Go. we'll cut yeah. in. We'll, we'll splice and cut in so everybody gets a good time, Adam. <laughs> That's great. Got you, Jerry. <laughs> well, one of the things I love, uh, you know, because I grew up in Florida, moved up here in the Midwest in 2013, and what I love about, especially getting to know a lot of the brewers as I sit down with these guys, is that it's very much a sense of community. Um, you know, everybody thinks it's a big blue ocean, but it really is a small pond, right? Mm -hmm. um, and as I've transitioned to different spots in business, I've always tried to tell younger guys, is don't burn your bridges on the way out. You've you got to circle back around and meet the same people in some capacity, or you may be in a different way, shape, or form. Um, being that it is such a community, and we have got to, got to be upwards of eight, 180 brewers here in Indiana now. Yeah. Uh, back when you guys started in 2010, Gosh. it was probably a handful. Yeah, a handful. Yeah. So, I mean, if you had to drink another Indiana brewer's beer, who would it be, uh, hmm. other than your own? If we could say that. Well, well, let me put it. Let me answer it this way. 
is when I go out to spend my money at restaurants and dinner, I only go to breweries, I mean restaurants that, that handle our beer. I only drink our beer. <laughs> Here, His thinking is they support us, we're going to go and That's exactly them. right. Yeah. Understood. Um, Understood. You know, I've been impressed with Daredevil's lagers. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, I really do like a lot of their, you know, their Pilsner. I've, I've had a Munich Dunkel from them. Mm. Um, you know, if I'm going out and having a drink somewhere, I tend to go more with a traditional, and I would say that's why the Daredevil um, is a good good option on that. Um, yeah. What about you, Sean? I don't know. Um, because I started, uh, and I was really active in the homebrew community here in Indianapolis. In fact, that's how I met Darren. Uh, mm-hmm sold me ingredients and would take my calls when I needed advice and stuff. So I'd been friends with Darren for gosh, 20 years or nearly. Um, and at the risk of singling any breweries out, uh, in the homebrew community, I got to know, uh, Bill Ballinger and Mike Pearson who, uh, own and run daredevils. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tried a lot of those beers when they were homebrewed beers and, uh, knew that they were going to make great stuff when they opened up uh, their own professional, uh, brewery. So I like daredevil a lot. Um, I like, uh, there's a new one, Primeval, up in mm-hmm. uh, Noblesville. Yeah. Um, those guys started as home brewers, too. Uh, and uh, they did him very well. Oh, my gosh. Was, they were episode one. Oh, uh, yeah. They're, they're, I mean, their lagers are like lights mm-hmm. out. And, uh, and one of the things you probably know and your audience knows is that it's the homebrew market that pushes the pro-brew market. Um, I think the most innovation comes out of homebrewers at smaller scale, that sort of wild maverick sort of spirit to wonder what would happen if I put this in the beer. I wonder what would happen if I try this technique. As, uh, as an advisor in my day-to-day, you know, one of the things I always try to educate God and my counsel, my clients to, is that there's just four challenges to kind of building wealth. And if I always start with organization first, because if I can get people organized, it's mm-hmm. 80% of the battles half done. As you guys sit here coming out of uh, a crazy year, you know, what are some of the challenges you guys see as brewers, as business owners, um, that you're trying to avoid and or overcome here in the years to come? Hmm. Some of the challenges. Well, as, oh. a, as a business owner, the challenge is to be on the plus side of cash flow. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. sure. <laughs> have more have more money in the bank, <laughs> you know, than your debt is. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, with everything going on, shortages or well, right now, yeah, being stuck in ports. Yeah. I mean, that's a challenge in itself. Of right. Making sure we have cans and we have the right ingredients, um, well, labels. Um, Darren Darren handles he handles the back end quite quite well all the time. He, you know, he's dealing with uh, the grain and so forth. However, I've been dealing with the cans. Ryan's been dealing with the uh, labels and, and sleeves and so forth, and the cans, the cans seem to be um, softening a little bit now. However, I just got a memo from uh, a source that said the word is that we might have another uh, shortage coming up here in the next few months. Now, you don't know if that is just to motivate people to get the orders in right now or not mm-hmm. or, or, or so what, but. Uh, but to me, personally, the can situation is my biggest challenge right now. Mm-hmm. Making sure that we have enough based on what their production is going to be. Um, and, yeah. uh, and then after that, I mean, you know, things have changed. Hell, it's almost doubled, if not more, the cost of the cans. And they want you, they want you to order 
double to triple the number of cans that you normally have done in the past. So now all of a sudden, space availability becomes an issue for sure. us. You know, where in the hell are we gonna store these things? Yeah. So, so that's a big challenge. It is um, that just-in-time manufacturing thing again, where it's, where do you, if you buy enough, you get a discount, but where are you gonna put it? And and we up beer that's sitting in the cooler that we're not ready to move yet, but we could move. It's it trying to produce enough and maintain that balance of your raw ingredients and uh, packaged beer and production. It's trying to keep that all sort of in sync where you're a little bit ahead. You got cash flow coming in, so you can pay your bills. And a good good example is that you know we we could have we can easily afford and justify a canning line here. Uh, the problem is is space. Sure. Uh, cans, machine. Where do we do that? And we look at we looked at the the cost of mobile canning versus the increase it would be to carry that many cans, the extra space, and so forth. And it's a wash. Mm-hmm. At this stage of the game, it's a wash for us. And uh, so we don't have a line. There's a couple of different business unit or business models that I'm sure you run across uh, talking to your clients. It's uh, w- what we see now a lot is uh, tap rooms. There's a proliferation of tap rooms. People are open more, uh, more tap rooms around town or regionally, super regionally. Beer through the wall is the most profitable way to sell beer. Oh, yeah. It's your mm-hmm. um, the next step up. I would say uh, would be draft at on-premises accounts and. Uh, and what really stung everybody during COVID, every production brewery, is having to put things in bottles and cans with the increase in, in materials, mm-hmm. uh, material costs, yeah. and all the inputs there. It just, it's the least profitable way to sell beer. Um, even though we're self-distributing uh, our own product, um, then you've got a sales force that's out, a distribution team that's out uh, for uh, the lowest possible margin on, on selling beer that way. So... Uh, the so, only way you make money in that is by having a much larger production to be able to um, to sell. So the what he just did, he just put himself out of a job. No, <laughs> there we go. I don't know. Start my own. We're not making any room. money on Sean all of a sudden. Yeah. Dang. Well, come on in here, Jerry. Look, uh, <laughs> this is my. Uh... No, go ahead. No, <laughs> no, but he's right. He's exactly right. Yeah. You know we. I would much rather uh, have, if you had the personnel and you could, you know, could logistically handle it. I'd much rather have ten tap rooms out there in, in great areas selling our beer than uh, hoofing it through uh, wholesale. Sure. And, and it does take the same. Uh, that's one of the things that I've learned from moving from the home brewer scale to the pro brewer scale. Most of it translates one to one. Um, but a lot of it is is just looking at, you can have three or four people in production working on a 20-barrel brew plant filling 40-barrel uh, fermenters. It takes the same amount of guys, uh, employees back in production, to make 180 barrels of beer. I mean, it might take a little longer to chill and mm-hmm. move, uh, move the beer around within the brewery. But if we could produce on a larger scale, uh, then the cost of things comes down yeah. so that we can sell the beer, uh, the packaged beer, a little less expensive. So, I mean, it's just uh, what business model you pick and which way you're going to build right. goes into yeah. it. Now, Jerry, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago community. And I think that's a big word to a lot of not just breweries, but business owners as a whole is trying to create a sense of community. And you guys are kind of in these kind of pocket neighborhoods. What does that word mean to you guys at Beer Brewery? The word community. Oh, 
gosh, it means a lot. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, well, I think that's our driving force. Yeah. That's our driving force here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the support that we get, even through like the, the pandemic was incredible from the community when everything was on lockdown and no bars and, you know, everything was curbside. I mean, especially our, our sales, I mean, it yeah. never dipped. It was skyrocketing, so. Yeah, um, that, that was that was really surprising, the, the support, especially the first, I'm gonna say the first couple months. You know, it weaned a little bit after that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think people got started getting tired <laughs> of yeah. going out, you know, mm-hmm. all the time like that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that, but we also listen to the community. I yeah. can't tell you how many, since when things started opening up, it's like the faucet turned on again. Mm-hmm. How many schools and churches and nonprofit organizations has contacted us for, you know, a silent auction items, support and so forth. Can you donate to this? Can you help us out that? And it is really hard to say no. We find it extremely difficult to say no. So, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing uh, these little auction, silent auction items all the time. And there are some situations where we do don't donate beer. You know, we, we do a lot with uh, Riley's uh, Kids Hospital, uh, some of the other nonprofit, you know, they have disease-oriented and so forth. And we do where we can, but at the same time, we have to keep in mind, we're in here to be in business. You know, we're not here to give beer away or donate beer for all these things, and and sometimes I've got to I've got to tell these these organizations. They said, "Man, we love you and we want to help you out." I said, "But we can't do what you want us to do because tomorrow I want to help so and so out. The next day I want to help so and so out. I can't throw everything at you at once." And I, in general, they really understand that. Sure. Yeah. Um, and kind of a segue into community. Uh, a great example is our can collars. So this past year, we switched from plastic pack techs mm. to uh, 95% less plastic. Uh, has 5% plastic in it, 95% paperboard. And we looked at it as like helping the community because if one of those do get thrown on the side of the road, it will eventually break down. It's the same material as a um, milk uh, carton, not a jug, but milk carton. You know, and those milk cartons break down after five or so years, but... Pack text. I mean, you're looking at 500 years for that thing to break down. Right. <clears throat> so, you know, looking back at the, the word community, I mean, focusing on our sustainability, the impact we have on the community in future generations. That's why we uh, brought in the can collars. Um, you know, I was looking and looking. I'm like, there's got to be some other options out there than just using plastic all the time. We were actually the first brewery in the state to bring these in. There are a couple other breweries using 100% compostable ones, but mm-hmm. we did try them out. That's the first time I've seen these. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We tried out the 100% compostable, but it slowed our operation down due to our scale, um, so it wasn't uh, feasible for our size. Um, this was the next best option. And we are currently working with the supplier for 100% plastic-free, which would be even greater uh, benefit what? to the community. Are we going to be their beta test site? Yeah, we will be one of the beta test sites for nice. it. Um, so we're looking at it for community um, involvement and uh, just the impact that we have. You know, other things we've done for the community and for the environment Recycling. on that would be um, we no longer use plastic cups on our patios or big events. We actually purchased uh, reusable cups. So our big events that bring in 300 to 1,000 people, they are now able to walk home with a reusable cup. 
Um, we actually got a photo of a guy out in Germany with it. They were on a bike trip and out in Germany and took a photo of it. And yeah, standing there with his beer brewery, his little white beer brewery cup. They brought him along because it's yeah. reusable, it's light, it was packable, and and it, it just so happened to fit our sort of environmental focus and our yeah. kind of kind of green initiative to to reduce and reuse and recycle things whenever possible. So um, yeah, now we we compost all of our taproom waste. Um, you know, we serve Bavarian pretzels here, and everything that's served with the Bavarian pretzel is compostable. Uh, when you use the, the washrooms, restrooms, um, paper towels, we compost those. Um, so, so going back community. to the community, we really community. focused in on that, actually, during the um, pandemic. And, what you know, how are we leaving the community uh, with what we're doing currently? Are we leaving it in a better state or state? Um, so we've done a lot of, um, in addition to what Jerry mentioned with donations and hospitals and, you know, you name it, we, we always help. But um, there's a, a lot of our, our packaging materials and yeah. how we operate. Interesting thing that uh, I want to make sure that we pointed out is I know that Ryan had mentioned uh, the collaboration that we did with Two Chicks and a Hammer, uh, the TV show. Uh, and Jerry talked about the volunteerism and, and the organizations that we help out in the community. One of the things that I traditionally, uh, breweries do a lot of collabs or collaborations with other, traditionally it's one brewery getting together with another brewery and sharing staff, sharing ideas, sharing recipes and putting a beer together uh, jointly. Um, we've not done that yet, not that we're opposed to doing it, I think we'd be open to doing it, but one of the things that we've done here that I've never seen another brewery do is we've treated our collabs like social collabs. We find other organizations in the community for which we have an affinity or a like-mindedness. Um, it's something that we're both passionate about, and we've we've really kind of uh, latched on to doing collaborations with other people in the community to kind of uh, intersect um, their audience and their their group with with our audience and our group. And it's actually worked out really well. It's yeah, been a big yeah. takeaway for me of like looking at collaborations in a new way. That yeah, well, one mean, of the reasons why we haven't done a lot with other breweries is that. You know what our production demands are. You know we don't have we don't have a lot of time in production to say okay we're not gonna we can back off of X items so we can throw this thing in there. Ryan and these guys have been out there and we know what our seasonals are, what our demands are going to be, and it's very demanding to, to throw something into the into the wheel and they start mixing it up at that time. So that's one of the reasons why we haven't really done with other other breweries yeah and so. now it's kind of like do we need to collaborate with another brewery or do we do we collaborate with the community we have chosen to go the community route this past year yeah it's fantastic i sit on a, a, a board in town of the indiana diaper bank and to be able to change and pivot and adapt um, is is very difficult coming out of the year that we just did like we opened up a pantry so that people could come the first Saturday every month nice. instead of our distribution partners were right. closed. And just being able to turn and pivot like we do a touch a truck event every year. We were going to do it at Whitestown. They got nervous, so had to cancel the event. So I'm doing it at our office at Invest next Friday. So being able to turn and pivot and be adaptable is sure. a great thing. And hopefully we'll have a, a great event and have some folks come out to it to help sure. drive. Yeah. So community's uh, very important to me, and I think that's always that's a servant attitude I'm trying to teach sure. my children because they come yeah. with me to do right. all that stuff. You betcha. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, last question, fellas. You know, when I um, when I sit down with clients for the first time, I often ask everyone this singular question, which is, if we decide to work together and do business, 
what would you want to accomplish in the next three years, whether it be personally, financially, emotionally, where we can look back at year three and say our time spent together was valuable and we're on the right track. As it pertains to your business, if we were to sit down again for a podcast three years from now, what goals and expectations do you have for Beer Brewery and what would you want to see take place over those next three years that we can look back and say, hey, well, this will be interesting. We, we haven't rehearsed this, so this no. will be, we're going to get my, three different uh, answers. <laughs> my, my, my first thing is, is uh, would be to keep that door open as we are today. That would be the worst case scenario, with keeping our doors open and, and us staying who we are. Um, the best scenario would be, depending upon, like Sean has brought up, what type of business plan you're looking at, is that how many tap rooms do we have? Okay, how how more how many more com- counties have we added to our distribution channel? Uh, that'd be another thing to look at. Um, and then, with all that in mind. Uh, I'd be sitting back there thinking, okay, the quality of life of our employees, has that gotten worse for them or has that gotten better for them? Um, How many more gray hairs has Sean got? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, could be, you know, I, I I think at at stage in my life, I'm not, I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about the customers being able to, Come someplace. Fly and, in her hair. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Call me Pence. Um, and uh, uh, worry about our customers being able to, you know, have an experience at our tap rooms and continue to have our beer, and also these guys uh, having a quality of life, personal life with kids. They all have young kids <clears throat> to be able to go out there and enjoy uh, their personal lives as well as their professional lives. So, very good. I would say an impact on the community because I've, you know, uh, it's just ironic we're talking about it, but I've really been pushing more for sustainability and less impact uh, footprint-wise. Well, he's, he's been the driving force. There's no doubt about yeah. it. Not only down here, but also up in Carmel, which we're also we made headroads too. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I could so understand Continue that. looking at sustainable uh, options for how we operate day-to-day, how we put materials into the accounts and the world itself, and you know, are we leaving it a better place for the younger generations, for our kids, and, mm-hmm. um, and then, so I would say an impact. Our customer base has noticed that too. They, they thanked us. Uh, we've had quite a few people thank us for the direction that we've taken it. So. Yeah. You know, That's great. Implementing new, new ways to be more sustainable. Yeah. And feel strange answering this question because I'm one of the newer employees here and not my last name's not Connor but uh, one of the (laughs) one of the uh, one of the things that I've I've thought about is uh, because I'm coming at this towards I got into professional brewing later in life I worked in the corporate world for years and and it's really just identifying who we're going to be in the future what business model are we going to go with and what do we want that future to look like? And I think the most important thing is like writing it down. Um, I don't know that we've we've talked about it a lot in the short time that I've been here. We've talked about a lot of things, 
but actually capturing it on paper and then taking it that next step like backdating it and making sure everything there's benchmarks and milestones and then making a decision to actively work towards those things because I, I am a big believer in that if you don't write it down and you don't plan for it it's never going to happen I mean it's like we have vision for what we could become and I think just kind of capturing that in a, in a sort of a formal process um, and putting some commitments on it and working towards something because I think we all have a a, a kind of a, an amazing vision in our mind of what beer brewery will look like the impact we'll have on the community the the lives that we've touched both employees and people out in the community I think it's just um, codifying all of that and and uh, planning towards it and working towards that plan so that in three to five years or seven years whenever it is that it that it really comes to fruition I, I would agree with that yeah. and, and, and at the same time keep in mind that the flexibility to be able, as you talked about, is to turn on a dime. For sure. With yeah. what the pandemic has created here, we have to be so flexible uh, that uh, in a moment's notice, we got to we got to go a different direction. Right. Uh, but Sean's right. We we we've, we've talked about it. We have not solidified anything, uh, and I don't know if that's because we're afraid to solidify something and. and make a decision and then all of a sudden halfway through that process oh shit we should have gone this direction you know or we need to change but right. yeah that's yeah. well that's beautiful gentlemen we'll come check out beer brewery here at their location on 65th street or over in carmel gentlemen appreciate thank your time thanks yeah. for doing this thank, thank you. you appreciate it fist bump it there all right thank you thanks come check them out that's a wrap there it is well that's it for this week's episode I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. For the latest on Financial Views with Local Brews, please check out our website at financialviewswithlocalbrews.com. You can also find us on YouTube via our channel there under the same name, Financial Views with Local Brews, as well as follow us on all of our social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, where you can like and connect with us throughout the craft beer universe that we're trying to explore here in the great state of Indiana. As always, cheers. The next round's on me, and I look forward to seeing you for future episodes. Bye, everyone.